0: human connection specialist, ex-relationship anxiety coach, and founder of Reflection. For the longest time in my life, I am obsessed about understanding relationships, unconscious human behaviors, and life patterns. Through this passion, I have devoted myself to a lifelong journey of exploring how we can raise society's consciousness through reflecting our relationships with ourselves and the world. Reflection invites top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, scientists, health and wellness experts, and authors to discuss their inner explorations of reflection to find their independent strength and wisdom. Welcome to Reflection. Let's dive in together. Okay guys, I'm so excited to kick off the first episode of Reflection with my own personal journey of reflection and how it has led me here I'm not going to waste much of your time and just get down to the bottom of this, but before we begin, I just want to say I've had many mental blocks of launching this podcast, especially when my first language isn't English. Although I dream, write, and talk to myself in English, it, it gets confusing sometimes. So if you had followed me from my Thai podcast of Potential Meets Passion, I am forever grateful, but this is going to be the time where I am done living inside my comfort zone of safety. I'm going to make mistakes speaking English and believe it or not, we learn from mistakes, not from trying to be perfect. Unless the mistake is trying to be perfect, that works too. So I've written this episode twice due to my fears of sharing my authentic self and I've had like a shell childhood. What that means is that everything looks perfect from the outside, but inside I was suffering, tormented there was a lot of abuses going on in my family some intentional but most were of course in unintentional and today I want to reflect on those to share with you guys why it's so important to reflect on the relationships in our lives especially with our families too because if we don't our health is going to suffer our quality of life suffers this episode is going to show you how I was very reluctant to share my personal story because I'm scared of what others are going to think, you know, not so much of an opinion of strangers, but more so of my close families. But no more of that, my story is mine, and I'm so cool, or I'm so embarrassed. I'm letting go. My story is for others to learn, grow, and reflect upon themselves. That's what stories, myths, and fairy tales are supposed to do. So in the process of dissolving my ego, I let go that this identity belongs just to me. All right. Are you ready to dive in because this is going to be some heavy stuff. Not heavy as North Korean refugee interviews, but heavy like majority people may be able to relate kind of heavy, you know? Let's get into it. As you know, I grew up in a strict Thai Chinese family. My parents were authoritative. They hold old beliefs of how things are and aren't really and they aren't really open to like learning new things beyond their ego. My mother, she's she's a housewife, a very good one whose self-esteem was highly tied to being a good mother and keeping the house in order. She worked beforehand, but as she married into my father's house, she was stripped of her job. Otherwise, she wasn't a worthy in-law, literally. My father is a very successful man. He did not graduate from any higher ed- education, survived in Belgium alone um, while being pushed there involuntarily. You know, From being a busboy to a janitor and then an ambassador's driver. He returned to Thailand and started building a family business with his parents and successfully kicked off the business in Thailand. We were one of the first few legit label printing companies. His identity was, you know, tied to himself, trusting only himself, self-made and surviving by his own, making him a very hardworking, egotistic, narcissistic man. Both of my parents had poverty, physical and emotional abuse trauma. This is common in many immigrant Thai Chinese family or most Asian families, I would say, I don't know, because we are immigrants, right? Lots of traumas. I think many listeners can imagine the kind of abuses their parents had to go through. That being said, they raised me with the abuses that was passed down too. I was the eldest child, first born with lots of expectation to take on. This delusional Asian idea that the girl is innocent, untouchable, and have to be a proper lady by never swearing or touching dirt. I had to sacrifice myself for my siblings, got praises only when I received grades, good ones, and had to dress a very certain way. When I became a bit older, like 10, I started dressing the way I wanted. I would wear jeans with skirts, like a jean and a skirt on top of it. I don't know what I was thinking, like, I thought it was cool. I'd wear them to malls and it would embarrass my parents to death. So, from the age of 10 until probably 18 or more, we fought every moment I'm about to leave the house. Something I'm wearing was never appropriate. Even when I'm home, I was expected to dress a certain way because the air-conditioned guy might show up and get horny. My mom was doing all these work. I witnessed her cry alone many nights in the bathroom, in the bed, sometimes before putting me to go to sleep. I was too young to understand what's going on. But finally, one day I found a lipstick palette in my dad's car. I returned it to my mom and she said it didn't belong to her. Definitely, I did not have any lipstick on at the age of six. So, of course, you know that, that pain in the stomach you, you feel inevitably, uncontrollably. That moment on, I understood what has happened and what is happening. Soon enough, it was talked about amongst the extended family. You know, how Asians have to save face and act like you've got everything together. Well, it didn't happen to me. My aunt literally said to my face, Your dad's cheating. In my heart, I answered, Yes. He was barely home, but I love him anyways. He never talked about it with us. He, he didn't look shameful either, that people were saying these things. It was kind of justified that men could do these things in a household and women were supposed to suck it up. Physically and emotionally absent dad is the perfect formula for daddy issues, of course. My parents' marriage was almost over, though I had never heard them fight. But I would see my mom unintentionally sabotaging herself, like pouring boiling water on her hand by accident. Rushing from place to place without breathing. And finally one day, her chronic illness, thyroid, stole her voice. We conveniently blamed it on thyroid, but we never really looked at the interactions within our household that led to the acceleration of it. Mom was very controlling. She can't let go of things and that's due to her being neglected as a kid. She always told me stories that her parents would left her in boarding school, unattended to her needs. She needed to survive alone. Once she returned home, she was used to do labour work, take care of the siblings. She's like the seventh child of all the nine children, who many times drank detergent by accident. She carried all of that into the household, trying to control her life by us, you know, using sticks, threats and shaming as manipulation, which probably is the normal definition of any Asian parenting, honestly. I was never good enough in her eyes unless I won trophies or got good grades. Performed well outside of class and in front of strangers. The only time I could make her happy was when she got praises from others about me. But most of the times I was an adventurous devilish kid who had high masculine energy. I loved climbing house roofs, breaking my teeth more than twice, and of course, eating dirt. Literally, I did that. Her expectations had failed her, but I think she was too busy raising my brother and sister to address this. So I grew up quite controlled, abandoned by my dad. I had high confidence because I was conditioned to perform. The more I performed in school, outside, the higher my confidence became. My self-esteem, though, was below negative. I never felt like my parents loved me. At the age of 10, I seeked love elsewhere, and that came with guys from school. Small crushes, big crushes, different kinds like any other kids, you know, puppy, harmless love. But I started having friendship trouble at school too. I didn't like my friends. I I didn't feel like my friends loved me, but I performed well enough to be one of the popular girls. You can imagine the the popular girls with high confidence but had to bully others because of low self-esteem, right? Yeah. So that was me. <laughs> then, at the age of fourteen, I got into my first serious relationship. You can call it first love, high school sweetheart, the purest love of all forms, right? And this is when the story of my relationships—I mean, re- relationships—actually begin. Okay, first, FYI, I've always been a horny kid. I started watching porn at nine. Masturbation too. I learned all for myself through the internet. So, you parents, no, no, no. I didn't know what it means to be so horny at a young age until recently, which it just means that you have a higher ambition drive than other people. Anyways, the problem is I've been curious about sex since nine, and at the age of fourteen, I was slowly trusting this guy who is a bit older and had more experience. We went out, and we dated. For a long time, over a year, he was welcomed into my family and my parents loved him like a son. You know, when you're 14, you date someone for a year. It's pretty long because you live just 14 years. (laughs) And at the age of 15, I was like, okay, enough of this sexual curiosity. I want to do more than just French kissing. But I was terrified and scared because, you know, sex was never talked about in Asian culture. And if it was talked about, it was talked about in a bad way. Like it was like some some bad omen if it happened to you and you should never think about sex so we didn't get any sex education at school too even if i went to an international american westernized school you could imagine like but no so my parents as soon as they know that i got into a relationship they made me promise that i would never ever had sex until i was until i became very very old okay i didn't know what it means to become very very old but of course i didn't pay any attention I was a teenager with very high ambition high drive I was doing the top in class making lots of friends you know so I was that like top of the pyramid kind of feeling thing and I was falling helplessly in love as well I would call it first love because you know you wanted to make love not just have sex if you've listened this far let me know down below in the comments what you think you know I always want to hear feedback engagement if you like what i'm saying then give me a rating give me a thumbs up there is so much controversy on this teenage pregnancy thing you know or letting our kids explore sex safely right in asian culture like sex is just bad sex is bad and i'm not saying just asian culture but many many cultures believe this too sex is bad until you graduate college then you deserve sex You can't live with anyone until you're married. So basically, the woman's autonomy cannot be achieved until, what, maybe 30 years old? This is the traditional way. And that was my father's way. But it wasn't mine. I was westernized. And my parents called me that to make me feel even more alienated from my own home. So... Of course, like I had sex at the age of 15. You know, judge all you want. 15 is young in this world or old. I don't know. Depends on how and where you grew up and who raised you. Everyone's standards are different. But in my parents' world, only their standards matter, of course. They found out hell broke loose. I remember that day so clearly and still dream about it sometimes. My dad and mom sat me down in their bedroom, told me to call my boyfriend to come here. Before he arrived, They asked me, did you have sex with this guy? And I said, why? I didn't lie. My dad asked me to swore in front of the Buddha that I didn't have sex with this guy. And I asked him, why would I do that? This is dumb. Then he wallowed in tears. The first time I saw him cried in my life, and it was because I had sex. As a conscious kid, I was highly aware of what was going on. Cultural belief system is making my dad sad. Not me. Okay, I was rationalizing all this traumatic shit that's happening in front of me. If I had grew up in a Western family, things wouldn't have gone this way. We didn't do anything wrong. It's just my parents don't see the world like we do. I was justifying everything because that was the only way for me to cope with what was happening. My boyfriend arrived and they threatened to jail him if we don't break up. He wasn't doing any underage thing because we're both underage. But I think my parents were desperate, desperately sad, disappointed with their own parenting and desperate to have a perfect daughter by society's standards. That was what I understood at the age of 15. It wasn't my fault that they had expectations. My dad punished me by cutting our communication for two years he didn't say, I'm not going to talk to you for two years. He just completely stopped. So I never knew when he was going to you know, start talking to me again. It, was, it wasn't like there was a signal or something like that. And if he did talk to me, it would be to tell me something like, if you ever make that mistake again, you're leaving the house. <laughs> yeah. Or you can't even close the trunk right. You see how stupid you are? Yeah, I had that going on in my high school years. And I accepted the treatment my mom became the wig of the family because no one would talk to each other and that was when she started to lose her voice to thyroid yeah right on my end I didn't end the relationship with my boyfriend we kept dating in secret for another year and that primed my unconscious belief that love is secretive loving in secret causing guilt towards my parents because I promised them that I'm gonna break up but I lied right which I was like, oh, it's okay. Like, I've been doing this for a year. Lying because of love became acceptable in my subconscious. Boom, Boom. programmed. My boyfriend and I didn't work out, but men after that always included me as a third-party situation. You know, it was so bad that there was this one time I was flirting with this guy and siding with his girlfriend in front of her face acting like a two-faced bitch trying to please everyone because i thought it was okay i mean like unconsciously i was like okay like it's secret i I can lie you know guilt lots and lots of repeated guilty behaviors i was stuck in this guilt cycle and i was i didn't know all the men that came into my life after that wanted to keep me as a secret or if they didn't want to and wanted to get serious with me, I'd start sabotaging the relationship, like start to flirt with someone else and then be transparent about what happened. Of course, the guy got pissed and I pity myself, and this was a vicious cycle. On top of that, I was always on the hunt for guys. I was the girl, but constantly the chaser, the go-getter. I had this mentality of when I want something, I will go get it. Sex wasn't the goal. Getting them to feel without having sex was. My game was to invoke feelings without sex, leave them hanging and hurting them by moving on to someone else. For the longest time, I was running on that adrenaline, that ego, self-esteem kick. When someone liked me, I felt worthy. My life was chaotic and it was all tied around guys while chasing guys. I was getting a sense of security from doing all of this because my home was no longer my home. And by the time I was like chasing all of these guys, I was still not over my first boyfriend. I was still quite in love with him. But I was escaping through chasing, through flirting, through, through you know, having people liking me. I, I, I wouldn't feel the sadness that I was feeling because I needed the adrenaline to make me forget. I successfully ran away from home during, for college. By that time, my dad quite forgave me, and we were on talking terms. He did apologize before I left, that he knew what he did to me was wrong, and all he wanted was that I don't ever get pregnant. Well, not until I'm married, of course. I told him, yes, I understand, like, all parents want that, you know. I will graduate college unpregnant, pregnant and make you proud, dad. So I was that girl like wow yeah finally i'm getting a second chance my dad's talking to me i chose political science as my major because honestly i wanted to help people but it was more because i felt powerless in life i was power hungry i wanted to be worthy and recognized and i thought this degree was going to give me all of that on top of it it was because my dad highly approved my original choice was fine arts but he said i couldn't make a living out of art so typical at this point i wasn't even after my first love yet right like i told you guys but i got into two three different relationships already again those relationships were just proof that i was worthy of attention love and that if i put my mind into something i can get it so i was trying to build self-esteem from that no it, it doesn't work with relationships that way all my relationships usually ended with overlaps me cheating I kept going back to my exes or find new guys that who, who don't see my worth. Then the most important relationship happened during my college year and the one I knew I wanted to leave and couldn't. Um, this this was a similar pattern to my first love. Like I wanted to move on, but I couldn't. I was stuck moving on cycle for about five, six years, I would safely say. no. Oh. In this most serious relationship, I would say most serious because we lived together for two years and I was highly toxic. I think my toxicity was at its finest point because I cling on to him for security, dependency, survival and happiness. Like I didn't have a self and just threw my whole life in his hands. Okay, I'm not going to go over what happened, but in this relationship, we got robbed, depressed. Police knocked on our doors, drug addictions, doors were broken. And so you could imagine I, I couldn't get out. And I tried to get out by cheating. People usually cheat unintentionally, right? For me, it was, it was the opposite. It was intentional. I was conscious of what I was doing. Like, okay, I'm about to cheat now. I know it's going to sabotage my relationship, but I hope this works out. Many times I had death wishes. I wish he sheeted on me, but he didn't. I sheet it didn't work. We got back together. <laughs> I think we were so numb and bonded by trauma that we just wanted to stick together. In Thai, we call this using up our bad karma. It means no matter what you try to do, you can't leave until your karma's up. So I sheeted the second time unintentionally, and this time I, I got out. From this relationship, I can safely say that cheating is the ultimate form of escapism. Once a cheater, always a cheater is true if you cannot understand what led you to keep escaping. What led you to keep using the same solution for different problems? For me, my sense of self-worth was tied to cheating outside of the relationship. I thought I was worthy of more Love, if everyone wanted me, I only want it to be wanted. And when I'm already wanted in a relationship and someone wants me outside, it makes my ego skyrocketed. I was escaping from feeling unworthy, unwanted, not valued. See? But even if I got out of the relationship, I was chasing this new guy who also had a girlfriend. And I didn't know he had a girlfriend, man. He just happened to like... Sh- told me the other day that like he had a girlfriend i'm like oh man like i don't want to be in this cycle anymore so but I-, I chased him so hard that i knocked myself out on the streets blacked out drunk and i had to get a brain scan <laughs> that was when i realized i got out of the relationship but i didn't get out of the cycle the behaviors the cycle was me i was the problem this whole thing was about nine years into like dating nonstop. stop like i was never single for longer than one month i realized i was choosing things in my life not out of love and freedom but out of fear trauma and on the outside i appeared well established as it was never the other way around like i was always okay graduated early with a scholarship you know landed a job at the un right out of college always the president the leader of anything you could imagine i could remember though so many nights crying shaking Grasping for air, suffering from panic attacks, locking myself in the bathroom, going on drives, crying in the rain. I I was like almost suicidal. I, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts. Drug addiction increased. I was getting a lot of sleep paralysis, waking up screaming. And that moment, I realized how my relationships were a reflection of my mental health, my quality of life. I was ready to throw it away for guys, and that was always my unconditioning because my dad treated me that way. He'd say, "'Leave the house if you don't conform to me in that sense, it was telling my unconscious, You are only worthy of living if you have my approval. Yes, and that translates into life. I think all of us has some kind or this kind of conditioning that they have that you have to prove yourself. But it can come out in different forms of friendship, you know, like you have to be this friend to be worthy for everyone to like you. Romantic relationships, you can't make someone upset. They need to approve where you go, which friends you talk to. And with family, which jobs you take, you know, money, it comes out in all kinds of relationships. I don't know who else needs to hear this, but as I reflected back into my life, I only started being open to sex again when my dad and I made amends. During my high school, I was getting involved with lots of guys, but never really went farther than that. Guilt stops pleasure. Guilt stops you from thinking you deserve any kind of pleasure. It stops you from honoring your needs. I didn't feel like sex was wrong, but I thought I didn't deserve to have it anymore. I was scared of life. Staying healthy is staying horny. But too horny means there's something wrong with you, though. What I mean too horny is, is what I experienced as well. So I was using sex to manipulate. You know what I mean, right? Like, you won't have sex with me? Does that mean you don't love me anymore? Or how come just this much today, babe? And I've been told by my ex-boyfriend that I was wanted too much. He he couldn't please me I, and I guilt trip him. And this comes out in in the form of overindulgence. Like, like when you want to eat a chocolate and you can't stop eating chocolate at all. So that's overindulgence. And then there's underindulgence which was what i was talking early about if you feel guilty then you stop yourself from having pleasure so um, underindulgence would be like working too much and not going out to see friends at all or stopping yourself from eating like things that you want so that's underindulgence i was always a toxic one but what happened and how did i wake up you know which therapist did i go see <laughs> the answer is i didn 't see any conventional therapists that worked. I went to see two, and all of them were pretty much like all of them pretty much told me it was my fault or that I should exercise more and that I should dress better to make my parents happy i don 't know it was expensive and it was useless. You know you get it right so that's that 's what this podcast is about because I realized things not by going to the doctors. I realized things by just writing things down and asking like difficult questions and having difficult. Conversations with myself, which was free, and you all can have that. So, for some people, traditional therapy just doesn't work, but for some people, it does. So, no judgment here. Do whatever works for you, right? Because I'm someone who've developed a habit of journaling since I was seven, I started writing, but this time differently. Usually, you would write like how you feel today, what you're hopeful about, what you're worried about, blah, 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 right? I did a relationship analysis yeah after i had to go get that brain scan i was like god damn this is not gonna work anymore in my life it's really cool you guys you should all try it so if you realize you're stuck in a pattern start drawing mind maps i drew a flow chart of all the guys that was involved in my life like dating or not sex or not flings or friends with benefits like all of them were down there all of them that i had feelings for i would say all of them that I put energy in, you know, and I think you just need like at least five data points. You don't need much. Then you write down how you felt with each of them and the interactions, the behaviors, the blocks, the clinginess, the bad things, the way you dumped them. Why did you dump them? Why was it fling? And that's when I started learning. From all this reflection... I learned that I was using sex to satisfy my trauma and unmet needs. Cheating doesn't happen because you're unhappy with the relationship. Cheating happens when you're unhappy with yourself in the relationship. It's like you need that external reassurance that you're still worthy of happiness outside of this thing you're in. You can love someone and want them so much but still cheat because you don't have self-love because your life is not fulfilled and you think that other person can fulfill you but what if that person doesn't want you okay you go get that fulfillment elsewhere cheating has nothing to do with the other person it's mostly you filling up a hole inside you that was never addressed i think a lot of guys cheat because they were forced to follow societal expectations you know work um work hard um you gotta provide for your housewives and your maybe not housewife but your wife you got to pay everything um, and you got to buy a house and then you got to take care of your kids you know if your wife doesn't want to it's fine but if you don't want to it's not fine and you know some of the guys they don't want to meet those expectations at maybe at the age of 30 maybe they want to meet it at the age of 50 but of course like if you don't get married by 35 something's wrong with you right (laughs) in a way They have to uphold this identity of being the strong masculine when they themselves don't know what they want, who they are. The further we pretend in our lives, the more we become disconnected to ourselves and we look for outside sources to connect us back to who we are again. The place of truth. Whether that truth is, I'm worthy of love, I don't want to be in this relationship, I don't need this partner actually, I have a choice... And I think my dad experienced this like many other dads because he was never allowed to be vulnerable and feel his emotions. My mother on the other hand never learned boundaries until she was 56. And that was because I put her into like energy therapy. She was always overgiving, putting others before herself and sacrificing. And she had been taught that sex was bad. She never enjoyed sex which reflected on her behaviors of never fulfilling her own simple pleasures. To sum it up, this is how relationship becomes a reflection of everyone's health. Most importantly is the relationship with yourself. Then on to others. How you treat yourself is likely how you treat other people. During my teenage years, my dad learned to never trust me again, but that is a reflection of not trusting himself as a parent. That he had done it right. That he was good. To trust, you mustn't be critical or blameful. He was critical of me, hence himself. Therefore, there is no trust. Well, I am sharing the truth of what happened to me while letting go that this is my story. It isn't. Guess what? It's everyone's. A little bit here and a little bit there. We are all connected in some way. I hope this episode has got you to reflect about your own relationships in life. The ones that are causing tension, the ones that are boring, and the ones with yourself. Know that by reflecting, we are bringing the unconscious to the conscious slowly. And that is how you become the captain of your own fate. Okay, before we end, I just want to give you a few journal prompts that will help you think about the relationship patterns in your life. And these will be in the description below too. So, first one. What does my family's love language look like? The bad and the good. Second one. How do I witness my parents express love to each other? Third. Which kind of partner do I keep attracting? Do I like this or not? Do I see a pattern? Fourth. Is there a relationship between how I treat slash view my parents and how I treat slash view my partner? Five, any current doubts in your relationship that you feel the need to work on and why? Um. Annie broke out of the cycle, happily in a healthy relationship with myself and others. I have fixed my relationship with my parents, safe to say I could kiss, hug, and share my life with them and they have begun their own healing journey as well. Goodbye, and I'll see you in the next episode.